And if you have a Bible, would you open with me to James chapter 1? If you've been around this year, um, I started kind of walking through the book of James back this spring. Um, We did one sermon early in the spring and then two in May. So this will be the fourth in the series, and we're going to finish up chapter 1 today. So if you would, read along with me, James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. James says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in all his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Would you pray with me? Fathers, we open this text up this morning. I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you want to say to us through your word. And Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. O God, my rock and my redeemer. And it's in the precious name of Jesus I pray. Amen. All right, before we dig into this, I want to give a a little recap on James, kind of where we've been. And um, if you'll remember, James is the half-brother of Jesus, uh, likely the pastor or church leader of the, uh, the church in Jerusalem. And he's writing this letter to likely his congregation who have been scattered among the nations after persecution began uh, after the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And so um, in this letter, James presents a series of tests, tests of genuine faith in the life of the believer. And so he starts off right out of the gate in verse 2 by telling believers to count it all joy when they face trials of various kinds. Our faith is tested in the trials that come our way. We've learned that as we walked through this. We talked about how the trials of life can become temptations when we allow our desires to master us and temptation can result in sin. On the other hand, our trials can become great opportunities of testing which will, in the believer's life, produce steadfastness that causes us to become more like God, more mature, and complete in Christ. And so the genuineness of our faith is tested in the trials that we face. And today we're going to look at another test. Uh, And that test presented by James is that of our response to the word of God. And so first of all today I want to look at receiving the word and what that looks like. In this first section in verse 19 contains a verse that may be very familiar to most of us. Where James says to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Or slow to become angry. Now, if you're like me, uh, your parents may have said these things to you when you were growing up. Or you may have used these words with your kids. 
And no doubt they are great words of wisdom to live by. You think about it in this digital age that we live in, everyone has a voice. Everyone feels that they need to share that voice and to share their two cents worth. And we are much better at talking than we are at listening. Few people want to listen to anything else that anyone else has to say. They just simply want to spout their two cents. And I think that this results in anger. The anger that we see in the world around us. We just live in a time where people seem to just be angry a lot. How different would our climate be in this country if we would be quick to hear people out and slower to speak our minds? It would perhaps lead to fewer angry outbursts and the often childish behavior that results that we see from grown adults. So no doubt, these are great words to live by. Being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. But when we look at the context here, and context is always key when looking at Scripture, we find that James uses these words in relation to something quite different than our interactions or with other people. He uses these words in relation to God's Word. So back up in verse 18, we finished this out the last time we were in this in May. Um, He's just reminded his readers that it is by the word of God, the word of truth, that we are regenerated. The word in our hearts brings us salvation. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Paul tells us in Romans 10. This is how we are saved, by the word of God taking root in our hearts, opening our eyes to our sinfulness, to God's glory, and to the sufficiency of Christ. And when we trust in him, the word saves us. Now, can I just pause for a second and say this? That these truths that we're going to look at today, they're not complicated truths. They are simple truths. But if these truths would take hold in our hearts, then I think that it would dramatically change the picture of Christianity in our culture and perhaps even in our church. I'm going to warn you, right off the bat that if you have your ears open and you're listening today that your toes might get stepped on because mine have been stepped on all week long as I've been looking at this it just be prepared let's dive in how do we receive the word we receive it humbly James makes it clear here to his beloved brothers and sisters and again I think that's really important he's writing to people that he knows and loves he's writing to them because he cares about them And he wants God's best for them. And so he's writing this out of love and concern for them in the context that they're living in under intense persecution. And he's saying to them and he's saying to us that we should be quick to hear the word of God. Jesus said multiple times in the Gospels and also you'll find it um, in the letters to the churches in Revelation. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Just as a mother who is quick to hear her baby's smallest cry, so the believer should be quick to hear what God has to say. I know the mothers can identify that probably better than the fathers can because they're better at it than we are. But all of us as believers should be quick to hear what God has to say. And the language here carries a sense of urgency and eagerness. He's He's like he's saying, hurry up, listen. Listen to what God has to say. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the writer says, 
For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There should be within the heart of every believer an eagerness and a desire for the word of God. The reason that we should desire and hunger for the word of God is because of the power that it has to do a transformative work in our lives. Now admittedly, that can be painful. I mean, you just look at what the writer of Hebrews just said. That it pierces to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow. It can be painful. It's a painful process sometimes to look into the word of God. And truth be told, that's probably why many people avoid the word of God altogether. They don't want to be confronted with their sin. But how else, how else can we become more like Christ if we are not allowing him to do a transforming work in our lives? And how can we be transformed if we are ignoring his word to us? Here at LifePoint, we teach through entire books of the Bible. I think just in the little over three years that I've been here, Doak has finished up Revelation. He's preached through First and Second Peter. He's preached through Jonah. He's just finished up going through Haggai with us. And in two weeks' time, he's going to start walking through the Gospel of John. The importance in doing this is that it forces us to deal with all of the Scriptures. It forces us to examine the full counsel of God. Now, did you know that on any given Sunday here at LifePoint, a third of our congregation is absent? A third. Did you also know that when you're not here, you are missed? We notice it and we miss you. But even more importantly than that, did you know that not only are you missed, but you miss out. You miss out when you're not here. You miss out on hearing the whole counsel of God. If you come every couple of weeks or once a month, you're missing out on hearing the whole counsel of God. If you come and you serve in our children's ministry, which we are grateful for your service, but then you head home afterwards and don't come to the service, you miss out on hearing the whole counsel of God. That's why we encourage everyone to attend one, serve one, attend a worship service, serve during the other. There's simply no reason not to. If you're not part of a life group here at LifePoint, you're missing out on opening the scriptures with brothers and sisters and hearing the whole counsel of God. If you're not opening and examining the scriptures on your own during the week, then you are missing out hearing the word of God. We should be quick to hear the word of God because it has the power to transform us. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's what Jesus is saying to us today. So we should be quick to hear. And then secondly, James says that we should be slow to speak. Now think about this. Maybe this is you. Don't we often approach the word talking instead of listening? Now maybe we're not outwardly talking. Maybe we're, maybe we're not verbally saying things. But we often come to the word with our minds made up about how we want to live our lives. We come to the word with thoughts about what we should do and how we should live. And if the scriptures say things that are counter to those thoughts, then we oftentimes may decide that maybe that part of the word isn't as inspired as the parts that I really like. When we come to the word in this manner, 
we put aside any opportunity to allow the scriptures to do a transforming work in our lives. We've already decided what's best for us and in doing so, we've pushed aside God's best for us before we even have a chance to hear what he wants to say. So we should be slow to speak. Scriptures speak a lot about meditating on God's word. Particularly the Psalms speak a lot about this and here are some examples. Psalm seventy-seven, twelve: I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Psalm one, nineteen, fifteen: I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Psalm one, nineteen, twenty-three: Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Psalm one, nineteen, forty-eight: I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. Those are just a few. Psalm 119 alone talks about this throughout. And we see it week after week um, on our screen. The thing about meditation is that it does not require speaking. Meditation is quiet reflection and listening to God's word. So when we come to God's word, we should be slow to speak. Too many times we argue with God's word. God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. We should listen more. We should speak less. Proverbs 10.19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 17.27 says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. Be quiet and listen to what God wants to say to us through his word. So we should be quick to hear. We should be slow to speak. Thirdly, James says, be slow to anger or slow to become angry. When we approach the word of God, we should listen humbly, not with our defenses up because having our defenses up when we're listening to God's word leads to an anger or can lead to an anger and a resistance to God's word. This anger, James says in verse 20, is the anger of man which does not produce the righteousness of God. By New Testament standards, anger can be good and bad. Okay, Righteous anger at injustice, immorality, sin, ungodliness, etc. is good. Jesus himself expressed this righteous anger in the temple as recorded in Matthew 21. But even righteous anger can turn to bitterness Which is why Paul instructs the Ephesians and instructs us to put aside anger by the end of the day. Don't go to sleep when you're angry. We just read about this this last week in our W4 reading in Ephesians 4. The anger here that James is talking about is not a good or a righteous anger. And it does not produce the righteousness of God in us. If we are getting angry at what we hear being proclaimed from God's word or what we read in God's word, I want to suggest to us that that's a personal problem. It's an unwillingness on my part and yours to submit to the authority of God's word and its transforming power. It's an unwillingness on our part to admit our faults and our failures. Ultimately, it's an issue of pride. I don't want to listen because I know what's best. Or I don't want to read because I know what it's going to say to me and I don't want to deal with that right now. Are we prepared to submit to the authority of God's word? 
So being quick to hear, slow to speak, slowing, slow to become angry. And the fourth thing under this point is that receiving the word humbly requires a prepared heart. Verse 21, James says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I've seen, I came across this quote a couple of times this week and it was attributed to both Dwight Moody and to John Bunyan. Um, Either way, whoever said it, I think it is true. The quote is this. Sin will keep you from the Bible or the Bible will keep you from sin. James calls his readers to put away filthiness, to put away wickedness, and to receive with meekness the implanted word. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 calls us to lay aside every weight and sin and to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So we need to have prepared hearts. This word meekness, we need to receive the word with meekness. And that meekness is the opposite of the anger that James has just addressed in the previous verses. Meekness is a patience under suffering. And remember who he's writing to. He's writing to his beloved brothers and sisters who are under suffering and persecution. Meekness is a patience under suffering and it carries with it a humility and a teachableness. Are we teachable when it comes to the Word of God? Are we willing to hear what it has to say? When we receive the Word with meekness, we accept it. We don't argue with it. We honor it as the Word of God. So many times I think we approach this text and we read it and we fail to remember that it is God's Word to us. That in itself should change the way that we approach Scripture. It's not just another book. We should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. This book, this book that we open every week here, this book that I hope you open every day in your homes, is a cherished, treasured possession. So receive it humbly. Don't come to this word looking for a Christian spin on what the culture is screaming at us. Don't come looking to twist it into your lifestyle. Come to this word humbly and receive it for what it says, not for what you prefer. Humbly receive the word which is planted in you, which can save you. You don't want to twist this word. This is the word that saves us. This is the word that does a sanctifying work in us. Let's receive the word humbly. And that brings us to our second point. Talked about receiving the word, but we need to put the word into practice. James says in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. As we've already encountered in the book of James, James does not mince words. He doesn't beat around the bush. He just gets to the point and he says what's on his mind. He tells us here to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We deceive ourselves if we think that hearing the word of God is enough. It's not enough to hear the word. We must do it. Many people think that hearing a good sermon or going to a Bible study is enough to make them grow in their faith 
and to get God's blessing. But what does James say at the end of verse 25? Being no hearer who forgets, but being a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James makes it very clear that the blessing comes in doing. If you think that you are spiritual because you sit in this room week after week listening to great sermons, you're kidding yourself. I read another challenging quote this week that said this, too many Christians mark their Bibles, but their Bibles never mark them. We must remember the word constantly. Do you remember God's commands to the, to the people of Israel in the Old Testament? I want you to turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy means the second law or the second giving of the law. And in, in chapter 5, uh, they've just gone through the Ten Commandments again. And uh, chapter 6, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey." Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, houses full of all good things that you did not fill, cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God's desire for his people and for us today was that his word would be constantly on their minds. Because he knew that without the constant presence of his word in their lives, they would be quick to forget. He told them to put it everywhere. They had it on their hands. They had it between their eyes. They had it everywhere. They put it on their doorposts, on their gates. He said to talk about it often. He said, teach it to your children. And I think this is what James is getting at here. If we are only hearers of the word, then James says that we are like someone who's looking at his face in a mirror. Perhaps he sees some dirt on his face But after stepping away from the mirror, he immediately forgets what he looks like and doesn't do anything about the mess on his face. It's not enough for us to be hearers only. What James is saying is that the word, the word invokes action. And if there is no action, then there has been no acceptance of the word. Can a person accept Jesus but not obey him? No. 
When you accept the word of Jesus, when you receive Jesus humbly, his word is planted in you and it is moving you to action. You can tell that the word is in you by what's happening outside of you. This is the picture. God, by his grace, puts his word in our hearts, his spirit in our hearts. He moves us to obey so that his salvation, when I talk about salvation here, I'm talking about our sanctification, not our justification. But that our salvation necessarily involves obedience. But it's obedience that's grounded in the grace and the work of God and his word in our hearts. And so now it's not what we muster up to earn the favor of God. The reality is that he is doing all the work but it's playing out in our actions. And this is where we experience the blessing of God. When we receive the word humbly, when it's implanted in us where we remember it constantly, where we absorb it into our life and it's coming out in obedience. If we hear the word of God but we don't do what it says, we are treating the word as if it's useless. I'm deceiving myself about the very nature of the purpose of the Word of God. What James seems to be encouraging and challenging his people and us to do is to take a long look in the mirror. We've got to take long, hard looks into the mirror of Scripture and respond with action. Let's be honest with each other. We've spent a good portion of time together in God's Word this morning and we're not quite done yet. But by the time we get to lunch today, we will have forgotten a lot of it. By the time we get to dinner tonight, we'll have forgotten even more. And by the time we wake up tomorrow morning to get ready for work, most of it will have faded away. Unless we work to remember the word. James is saying, you think you're right before God because you've listened to the word. But you forget what it said. And you're not putting it into practice. The reality is you're deceiving yourself and your religion is worthless. Now there's an element about the word of God that makes it different from any other book. It demands action. You can read history, but it asks nothing of you. You can read literature, but there are no imperatives, no declarations, no explanations. Now it might have a lesson to teach, but that may or may not have been the intention or on the mind of the author. You can read science, but it makes no demands on you. You can read a cookbook. might give you some great recipes, but it doesn't say that you have to cook. However, the Word of God is a command. It's a call to action. Life point, let's not be a people who are deceived. Let's be a people who, look, who long for God's Word, and we study it, and we intently look upon it, and we respond with action by putting it into practice. This is why the fourth W in our W4 is so critical. How will I walk in this? What action is God's word calling me to today? If you're visiting with us and you're not familiar with the W4, it's the simple Bible study method that we use here at LifePoint. And I'd encourage you to stop by the information desk on the way out and grab the reading schedule that's out there and then there's a a small postcard that explains what the w4 is and how you can use that in your own life but the fourth w is walk how do i walk in this 
How is my life going to be different tomorrow because of what I've heard today? Remember what James says at the end of verse 25. He says, the blessing comes in doing. This is the same blessing that's spoken about in the Beatitudes. Of those receiving God's favor regardless of what their circumstances might be. And I think that's important to point out here too. Because again, you remember who James is writing to. He's writing to people who are living under persecution. The blessing of God that comes in our life in the doing is not necessarily going to be a financial provision. It might not necessarily be restored health. The blessing of God in our lives when we do action, when we do what God's word tells us to do is the very presence of him in our lives. I think James is reminding him that when we are in God's word, we are studying God's word, his presence is felt. He was encouraging the the people that he was writing to. Don't just be a hearer of the word of God. Do what it says. If we are to use God's mirror profitably, then we must gaze into it carefully and with serious intent. This is what James is talking about um, in verse 25 when he mentions the law of liberty. The law that brings life. This is the law that brings life. It brings liberty and freedom. No quick glances into this book will do. We must examine our own hearts and live in the light of God's word. This requires time, attention, and sincere devotion. There's just simply no way around it. A five-minute devotion on your way out the door each day is it's never going to accomplish a deep spiritual examination of our lives. It just simply isn't. If you've been here during our study of James, you may remember me saying that James pulls very heavily from Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, just listen to Jesus' words as he closes out that great sermon. This is Matthew seven, twenty-four and following. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. As James says in verse 25, let us not be hearers who forget, but doers who act. We have a responsibility to receive the word humbly. We have a responsibility to put the word into practice. And thirdly today, we have a responsibility to share the word. There's three things that I'll touch briefly on under this. The first is our speech. The tongue must have been a big issue at this time that James is writing because James deals with it quite extensively throughout this short letter. He mentions the tongue and speech here in the first chapter and then he's going to come back to it again in chapter 3 and and talk a lot more about it. What James is saying here in verse 26 is that if a religious man does not control his speech, his religion is worthless. Again, he doesn't beat around the bush. He just says it like it is. What we say and how we say it is so important. 
When I see the often violent verbal confrontations between professing Christians on social media platforms, it makes me cringe. Because I have non-believing friends who see these quarrels and this bickering and they want no part of it. That's their perspective of Christianity. That's what they see. That's what they think that Christians are. A bunch of people who can't get along. Our actions and our words are a testimony to those around us. Even the words that you write on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. They are a testimony to those around us. And we must use our speech to build one another up and not tear one another down. We must learn how to have good, loving conversations with one another, even when we might disagree. Let us use our tongues to share the good news of Jesus with our friends, with our neighbors, and with the nations. Jesus, in his words about a tree being known by its fruit in Matthew 12, says this. He says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Other translations say, Out of the overflow of the heart. The mouth speaks. What we are filling our hearts with is what will flow out of our mouths. I think we all know this. We see it day in and day out. If not in our own lives, we see it in those around us. What we fill our hearts with is what will come out of our mouths. And so this is just another reason to be pouring over the Word of God And surrounding our lives with it. James then talks about a religion that is pure and undefiled. And those two words that he uses there basically mean the same thing. But one is from a positive perspective, the other from a negative. And this leads to the second thing under this sharing the word and that is service. James talks about visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. That's the positive side of of the pure religion. We have to open our eyes to the needs of those around us. We simply cannot ignore the plight of those around us. And as has already been mentioned today, but I want to mention it again, we have an opportunity as a church to serve families across our area who take in foster kids. We get to serve the kids. We get to serve those parents by letting them have a night out. And that's coming up in October and it takes an army to pull it off. And there's an opportunity right there for us as the body of Christ to serve. And so I want to challenge you to be a part of that in October. Two weeks from today, after both services, Kristen's going to lead an information meeting telling us more about it and how we can be involved. And I want to encourage you to make your way to one of those meetings. I'd love for that meeting to have to be held in here because there's so many people. But that's just a practical way where we we can do this. We can put this into practice of serving our community and serving in particular kids who live in foster care and the parents who open their homes to them. That's just one way. The ways to serve in our community and around this region are endless. But we cannot, as the body of Christ, we cannot ignore the needs of those around us. James address, will address this further in chapter 2 when he talks about faith without works being dead. And we'll unpack that when we get there. But John also says a similar thing in 1 John three sixteen through 18 He says this, By this we know love, 
that he, Christ, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Lastly, James refers to our separation from the world. We are to keep ourselves unstained from the world. This goes back to the word undefiled that he mentioned earlier. This doesn't mean that we don't have contact with the world. That's not what James is saying at all. But it does mean that we should not become implicated in the things of the world. The world wants to stain us. The enemy wants to stain us. And if we're not careful, we can become friends with the world. James is going to warn us against this when we get to chapter 4, whenever that might be. But he asks this question, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? This can lead to a love of the world, which can cause us to conform to the world, which Paul warns us against in Romans chapter 12 when he says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So James calls us to be unstained, without spot or blemish. And this is the same word that's used of Jesus in 1 Peter 1.19 when he says that Jesus who ransomed us not with perishable things, but with his precious blood, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, like a lamb who is unstained. We are called to be unstained from the world just as Jesus was the unstained Lamb of God. And so I ask you this morning, so what? So what? What do we do with this? Like I said, this has a tendency to step on your toes and mine have been stepped all over this week because I don't always get this right. I don't always... I get up some mornings and I'm in a rush to get out the door and fail to spend time in His Word. And before you know it, the day is over and the opportunity for that day to spend time in the Word is gone. So today, for us, is this simply going to be another day that we've heard another sermon and we'll walk away and quickly forget what we've heard? Or will this be a defining moment in your life? Maybe in the life of our church where we boldly say, enough is enough. I yield. Are we bold enough to say today, I yield? I yield to you. I listened to a song that's it's on the radio now. You may have heard it if you listen to Christian radio, but it's, it's by a guy called Cody Carnes, and it's called Nothing Else. And it talks about how you know, nothing else but Jesus is enough. And I hadn't really listened that closely to the lyrics until the other morning when I was on my way Uh, to work and a few lines jumped out at me and I feel like they're worth mentioning here today because perhaps many of us in this room are in this place but he says I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions I'm sorry when I just sang another song take me back to where we started I open my heart to you I'm sorry when I've come with my own agenda I'm sorry when I Forgot that you're enough. Take me back to where we started. I open my heart 
to you? Are you just going through the motions? Do you come here week after week, sit and listen to a great sermon, but by the time you've made it to your car, you've forgotten most of what was said? Or do you leave here reflecting on what you've heard with an intention to do something? Because God's word calls us to action. It calls us to action and we can't ignore it. If we do, we're deceiving ourselves. That's what James says. Those aren't my words. We are broken people living in a broken world. Scripture even talks about us being broken vessels. And you know, you might come here Sunday after Sunday and you sit and you hear a great sermon and you're filled up and you're you know, ready to, to walk out the door. But not long after that starts to just leak out. And by Monday morning, you're empty already. The week hadn't even started. I'll leave you with another quote. I like quotes if you haven't picked up on that. But um, I came across this this week as well from Dwight Moody. He said, the only way to keep a broken vessel full is by keeping the faucet turned on. We are broken vessels and we need the constant flow of the word of God through our lives to keep us filled up. The constant flow of God's word in turn leads us to action. It's just a fact. If we are constantly in God's word, it will lead us to action. And so as we, as we wrap up today, I just want to, I want to challenge you, you know, as we sing this last song, I want to challenge you to think about your life. Maybe it's time to yield. Maybe it's time to, to yield your life to Christ for the very first time. Maybe that's something you've never done. I'd love to talk to you about that. I know Doak would as well and others. Talk about it with somebody that you came with today. Maybe you've been a believer for a long time, but you've just kind of been deceiving yourself. Trying to get by week after week, just, you know, coming to hear a sermon. But it doesn't ever go much further than that. Maybe it's time to yield to God's word. To trust him with it. To pour over it, to soak it in deeply. Maybe if you're a life point person, maybe you need to get involved in a life group where you can open up God's word with other brothers and sisters. Maybe that's not been a priority for you. Maybe that's what needs to change today. Maybe you serve in the kids' building, but then you slip out some Sundays and don't come in. Maybe that's something that needs to change for you today. sitting under the authority of God, hearing the whole counsel of his word to us. So would you stand with me? I want to pray for us. And then as we sing, just want to ask you to reflect and to think, what needs to change in my life today? What do I need to do? Because hearing the word of God is not enough. James makes that clear. We must be doers of his word. Let's pray.